Hello and welcome to Vitamins for Breakfast, the podcast that aims to feed your soul and create connection through conversation. This is episode one of Diversity Beyond Borders with Marissa. Marissa is an acupuncturist who was born in Ecuador, but her stay was short-lived because at the age of one, she was adopted and brought to America. She is a true definition of what it means to turn misfortunes into triumph. On today's episode, Marissa shares her memories of being born in Ecuador, her adoption story, along with her journey to establishing her identity. Let's get started. Marissa was born in Ecuador. So just let, let's just start at the very beginning with you. You were born in Ecuador. And what do you remember, girl? Because I know you, it might not be much, but yeah. let's get into it. You were born in Ecuador. Yeah, so I mean, I actually did talk to my mom today to try to get some facts like settled out so I wasn't just, you know, telling straight up lies, you know, about my life. Yes, 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 yes. So she told me I was, you know, 21 months actually when I got adopted. So I was between like the one and two year old mark, but um, I was born in Machala, which is a coastal region in Ecuador. So it's like right on the ocean. They, um, are famous for transporting like bananas, cocoa, just like seafood. It's a very like port-like city. Um, And so I don't, all my birth records are in Spanish. So it's been basically from what I understand is from my kind of translation of how uh, I read my birth document. So basically what I understood was that my birth mom, she gave me to a family friend. Um, It didn't specify why, but she gave me to a family friend and then that family friend is who brought me to an orphanage um, in Cuenca. The orphanage name is called Tario Torres um, and it's run by nuns actually. So yeah, so I don't exactly know how long I was there, like when exactly I was given up and you know the duration that I stayed there, but um, my parents came, they actually had to come to Ecuador uh, when they decided they wanted to have a kid um, and they decided that they actually did want to do Ecuador and they had decided they wanted a girl too. I asked them, you know, like, did you know what gender did you have a, you know, specification? And they're like, yeah, we really wanted a daughter. Um, so they had to come to Ecuador. They wound up spending three and a half weeks there, which just being like introduced to me. And, you know, the first time we met, I was terrified of them. Like I literally ran away from them, like just to kind of <laughs> paint a picture, like, yeah, you know, yeah. my parents are Caucasian. Um, mm-hmm. and my dad, so also in reference, I'm five foot, you know, so I'm pretty short. And my dad <laughs> yeah. is the- six five dude like he's this yeah. tall at the time like very slender guy and then my mom's about five four um mm-hmm. and so just like totally new people that I've seen they didn't speak the same language I did so I just was terrified of them I didn't right, know right. they were naturally they naturally yeah. yeah yeah like you're yeah. human you're like the fuck is this <laughs> yeah you know yeah. so I didn't want anything to do with them for the longest time and you know my parents tell me you know how disheartening it was and I can't imagine like going all the way to a different country to adopt this little girl and I'm just like no like just not wanting anything to do with it um But they finally asked the nuns if they could bring me out um, to a restaurant just to kind of introduce me to some food because pretty much at the orphanage, all we had was potatoes. Like that's really all we ate there. Um, So they're like, we just want to bring out to a restaurant, feed her some different type of food. And so 
my dad likes to tell the story that all it took was just like a Coca-Cola that he gave me. And then all of a sudden I just perked right up and I was like their best friend. She's feeding me food, still typical of me, feeding me food and I'm happy. Like I'm good, you know, I'm Hey, sad. okay, okay. <laughs> the way to Marissa's heart. <laughs> yes. Um, so I guess it was like after that kind of introduction and just bringing me out of the orphanage itself, it's when I really started to warm up to them. Um, and then I guess within uh, a few weeks, I had finally called like my dad, like Papa. And like I had made that association that he was my dad. Um, and you know, my, my dad literally tells a story like I was sitting on his lap and then at some point I like looked up at him and like brushed my hand on his cheek and, you know, called him Papa. So, and then pretty much to finalize it, they actually had to go before this court and the judge had to see that we worked good as a family. Like they're very strict about their adoptions and wanting to make sure that the kids are going to a good home, which is really good that they're doing that. They're not just gonna let anyone take the kids. So they were really impressed by the interactions that I was calling both of them like mama and papa at that point. So, you know, it's pretty evident that we were a family even then. And so it was it was pretty crazy. Like my parents said, like in Ecuador, all the locals were so supportive. Like when they found out that they were there adopting me, like they would give me and them like free food and stuff because they, and you know, saying like, take care of her and stuff. It was just this pride and almost kind of like happiness that they were gonna give me this like better life, you know? Um, and they, and my mom tells me that it wasn't until they got back to the States, which is where people like literally in an airport, like people didn't believe that was actually their daughter. And like, they questioned them and, you know, and then all these questions like, well, where is she from? Like, how are you her parents? Like just really rude questions. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously not crazy at all. This is America. <laughs> like, what yeah, you doing with that baby here? I, I, was, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess like, you know, I was too young to really experience like culture shock, you know, but I came to the United States and my parents lived in New York, but like in the North part, like near Canada, pretty much. And like it had snowed. There was a bunch of snow. Like I like my joy went from Ecuador, which is very tropical, like, you know, beautiful, sunny all the time to like rainy New York, snowy New York, cold New York, never has sunshine New York, you know, especially central New York, like, you know. That is a yeah. big shift for for a child who is so used to an environment to then move to another one and it's completely opposite of what they were already experiencing. To top it off, there's a level of confusion, but did you think about it that much where you weren't home, like you weren't in Ecuador? Like did that, did you think about it that much at that age when you were so young? Like, when did you realize that you're like, wait, I'm different, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, honestly, it wasn't. So pretty much growing up, cause where we lived in the North country, it's, you know, it's primarily Caucasian. Like there's not uh, Latinos, Hispanics, there's not like African-American kids. Um, so even growing up, I was surrounded by males and females that had red hair, blonde hair, not even brunettes. Like, you know, it was just like very polar opposite of what I looked like. And I guess it wasn't until kindergarten. Oh, okay. So funny transition. So we moved from the North country to Baldwinsville, but in the meantime, I went to Oswego, which is where we went to college for a year. But ironically, Oswego was more diverse like where I did like a few months in kindergarten, there was more diverse than in the North country and even in Baldwinsville where I wound up growing up. So my parents tried their best to like find a school district that was like good, but also they wanted to try to find some diversity, but it's really hard to judge how diverse a school is. You know what I mean? So 
it wasn't until kindergarten when I was in Baldwinsville and I guess like some kids had actually made fun of me because of my skin. And again, this is like a class full of Caucasian kids, you know? And so I, I stood out, like literally I was like, I had tan, brown skin, the dark hair, very long, dark hair, you know? And um, I guess like some kids would like make fun of my skin and, you know, and so I would ask my mom, like what was wrong with my skin? You know, like literally thinking there was something wrong with me because, kids were making it seem like it was a bigger deal than it was. Um, and so, oh my gosh, when I was talking to my mom today, she told me kind of like the saddest thing, man. Like, so I guess there was one night where um, she could tell I was in a bad mood. Like, can you imagine like little kindergarten Marissa just like huffing and puffing like on the bed, like, but just like sad nevertheless. And so she asked me like what was wrong and I told her I hated my skin. Like I literally said at five years old, like that I hated my skin. And she like, even when she was telling me today, like she literally started crying because thinking, you know, what do you say to a five-year-old who says they hate their skin you know and um so she so she told me i guess there was a book that we had that kind of had kids from different cultures different areas and she showed me a picture of someone from south america and she was like look at like you have honey colored skin she was like everyone loves honey so you should love yourself and you should love your skin you know and she told me that yeah I was like, yeah oh my gosh like that is you were like girl that is so true yes. i love honey <laughs> yeah, everyone loves was, honey like who that's such a, yeah that's such a good way to because you yeah. it's just finding a way to communicate to kids because kids don't they don't get it how we as adults will talk about it so what a nice way to kind of make you think about it differently give you a different perspective as a kid that's so nice yeah. it is heartbreaking to think about um you know a child questioning their identity because kids are making them feel different especially when you have no one else there that can identify with you because you yeah. can't go home and talk to talk about it with your parents <laughs> and they'll be like yeah we, you know what i'm saying like you are yeah. alone yeah and that's why that's why I always, when, you know, when I first found out that you were adopted and that you were, you know, adopted by a Caucasian family, I was just like, yo, that experience is, I can, I, I can identify with you because when I look at you, you look Latina. Mm -hmm. And then, but when I find out that you don't, culturally, you, you're not necessarily involved in that upbringing, you don't, yeah. you, you can only connect but so far you know what i'm saying yeah so what what was it like for you in reference to once you kind of became more acquainted with your latina side as you started like accepting your skin then, mm -hmm. then kind of accepting who you are what was that like for you now because when i talk to other people who have been kind of in your circumstance um they always say that you know they weren't fully accepted by caucasians and they weren't fully accepted by latinos so mm -hmm. what was that like for you when you kind of i guess were acquainted or came in contact with that other part of you that is completely who you are but you just didn't have that experience growing up yeah it was like you know so in middle school i finally met this girl who was actually adopted from columbia too and so her and i became like best friends like literally i consider her like a sister because i was like you know but it was crazy because she actually had siblings that got adopted too from columbia so she had siblings um i was an only child i don't know if i referenced that earlier but i was an only child my parents wanted to get um another kid but then some health issues came up and they just decided it wasn't a good time to do that um but it was crazy so we had become like so close and i was you know so determined that we we're going to be best friends forever you know but 
just like normal relationships in middle school, not everything lasts and we kind of went two different ways, you know, and she kind of became like the popular, you know, girl and I just kind of was, I, that just wasn't for me, that wasn't my crowd, you know, like I had the Harry Potter glasses on, I had braces, I had acne, like I wasn't cute, you know, like. <laughs> well, you're cute now, so it's cute. Paid off. It was worth it. <laughs> But I met friends actually who um, were two friends that were adopted from China and then another friend who um, was in the foster care system, African-American, and she got adopted from that family. So we all became this like little, little group and we're just so close, you know, because even though, you know, back at that time, we didn't talk about like, oh, it's so weird being adopted. Like, it's so weird being surrounded by like Caucasians all the time. It was like kind of this unspoken, Thing that we had in common and that we all knew that we were kind of going through the same thing and being raised in pretty much a, a same manner, you know? And especially because I had one friend who, she was an only child just like me. So she was adopted, she was an only child. So she really understood like, you know, what it was like, yeah. So it was really not until college when, um, you know, going to Oswego and then they had like the Latino Student Union and even just walking around a campus and like hearing people talk in Spanish, like it, it made me so good, but it also made me feel really self-conscious because I couldn't roll my R's. And for me, like that was really embarrassing. And like, and, and even though no one ever told me this, I felt like I wasn't really Latina because I couldn't roll my R's. Like, I feel like that automatically yeah. like discluded me. Yeah, from, like you were canceled yeah, from the- Yeah, I was like, done. They won't like me. I can't roll my R's and be like, get out of here. Like you, you're a poser. <laughs> so it was like it was crazy you know and I always wanted to and even with my roommates like I had Caucasian roommates you know so I didn't have like really anybody that was you know of a different ethnicity a different culture and it wasn't really until I met you and Brandy through the gym um and that's why like you guys hold such a special place in my heart because it was like you know I think both we all have this in common where we all seem like we're unapproachable but we're really like just so like down for each other and like down for our friends and we just don't want to waste our energy on people that aren't gonna help us grow as a person you know so it wasn't until I met you guys and then I think it was you I had a conversation with first and I was like damn and I found out you were Dominican and I was like damn like she's really cool like you know I feel I feel like but I wanted to be friends with you and I want to hang out with you but I didn't want to be that person that's like can I hang out with you you know because I just I just want to seem like that I be that you. person <laughs> I, I just never I was just like, I was too scared you know and it comes down to like you know Brandy being um I believe Puerto Rican yeah she's Puerto Rican yeah. and and African American and she also doesn't speak Spanish which which is yeah. interesting because you guys can identify on that because she would also we took a Spanish class together in college and the teacher was shocked when she said she doesn't speak the language and she's just like how are and this is a teacher mind you you know this yeah. is a professional quote unquote kind of giving that sense of like how you feel like excluded or you're you're less than because how are you a part of a community but you can't speak the language yeah. so it's just like I I 100% understand that it's messed up to kind of expect something of people just because of what they look like and that's something 
say we're just dealing with across the board, you know, like mm-hmm. where when you think about like what we're dealing with, you know, people of color, um, where people have um, kind of these biases and beliefs to- towards people that when you see these people, you assume that this is what they're here to do or that they're this type of person. And just you have kind of dealt with it on your own scale where it's like you mm-hmm. look Latina. It looks very obvious that, you know, you're South American. You have that kind of, you know, S to you. So it's just like to think that you don't speak Spanish to somebody will be like kind of like, wait, what? Like, they'll just probably start yeah. talking to me immediately. Like, hola, como estás? You're like, wait, uh, yeah. you know, like I, I yeah. don't speak it. And they're like, what you mean you don't speak it? You know what I'm yeah. saying? So a hundred percent, I think what I've been realizing is that people kind of have dealt with the same emotional kind of journey when it comes to identifying and figuring out who we are um just in a different shade it just feels the same though like at at the end of the day i feel like we can all come together and talk about how something has made us feel because someone has let's say discriminated against us or made us feel different because you know we don't 100 identify with something um we need to stop that initial like bias towards people just because we see them a certain way they act a certain way look a certain way it's just like we can't be trying to put people just on like a scale categories you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i guess i'm just curious about like what was your experience when you kind of started noticing that, you know, there's categories against Latinos in America and you are Latina and you're seeing that like, you know, you have kids that are locked up in cages, you have immigrants who are in ICE right now who are going through terrible things um, while they're locked up and nobody talks about it. It's just like, how do you feel as, you know, being someone who's raised here, aware of everything that's happening, but also your, your roots are still, you know, kind of, in South America or, you know, Latina, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, you know, so when I was thinking about this question and I was like, you know, obviously we all take history classes, right? But sometimes it's like, I feel like a lot is to cram so much history that our country has gone to into like maybe a year's worth of actual history education. It's insane, you know? So kind of thinking about how Europeans came over and then came to America and there was the native indigenous people here. And and because I always try to think of like, how did something happen? You know, it obviously it's happening now, but what is the root? Like, why is this happening, you know? And so when you look at, you know, the Europeans coming, there was the native indigenous people and they looked different. They were obviously, they were darker skin tone. They talked a different language. They had different rituals, cultural uh, beliefs. And because it wasn't similar to Europeans, they didn't want it. Like they were just like, this is bad. You know, they were able to kind of create the stigma that they were savages, even though they were coming into their land and killing people, raping women, you know, all of a sudden they're the savages, which gave them this like right to wipe out, you know, a huge native population, which I think is something that still none of people talk about. You know, we talk about being a minority, like, you know, being Latina, Hispanic, African-American, Muslim, Asian, but it's like Native Americans, it's like, I feel like they're never talked about. And it's just like, this is where like everything stemmed from, you know, it's just like how Native Americans were treated. And then just as history went on and how, you know, when they needed help to build literally build our country. That's when they brought Africans from Africa. You know? um, they brought Asians from Asia to help build railroads and stuff. And so, 
you know, these minorities were brought in for labor. And so, but they oppressed everyone that, you know, wasn't like them because they wanted to be the superior race, you know? So it's like, you know, you look how far we have gone in history, you know, like we now have, you know, quote unquote, like equal rights, you know, like we can vote and we can do all these things. We can get regular jobs, you know, but it's like, as much as it hurts me when you see these, especially kids, because kids have done nothing. Like literally it's their parents that are trying to bring them from normally an impoverished area, from an area that has high crime and they just want a better like life for their kid. What parent wouldn't want that? Even if you're born in the United States, like most parents, like including my parents, they came from low income families and they worked their butts off to become these as successful as they are today. It wasn't because things were handed to them. You know, it's like they worked to get it, but it's because they want to provide a better life for their kids. So it's like, I don't understand why that's acceptable for people who live here, but for other people from different countries, when they want to just bring over their kids, uh, and I think people don't understand like the risks of doing what they do, you know, like literally people are shoved in these like containers, boats, like anything, cars, like just the smallest spaces. They can't breathe. They are sweating. They could die of exhaustion or dehydration at any point, but they're willing to do this just to give their kid a shot, a glimmer of life, you know, and for some reason it's like then the parents are criminals because they're bringing over their kids illegally you know like oh well they must be criminals their families are criminals you know our own president has called mexicans like rapists you know like how you know what i'm saying and and then it's like these kids are treated just so poorly and like animals and i just i don't understand how but it's because like the media is focused on so many other things and it's really like the people who are digging this up and then all of a sudden it's like conspiracy i'm not saying everything's not a conspiracy but it's like all of a sudden it's like pushed to the side because it's like oh that's propaganda like we have all the other things going on right now like we don't need to be worried about that it it, it breaks my heart and it makes me think like that could have been me and some or honestly like i probably would never have even made it that far i could have died at the orphanage easily you know and my parents gave me a second chance in life and a lot of families give kids a second chance in life by adopting fostering so why is it looked down upon that these families from different countries want to give their kids like a second chance what you said <laughs> is completely like then you hit the nail on the head and i don't think that people focus on that aspect enough where it's like we don't focus on the purpose of why they want to come here it's only like they're coming here and they're taking our jobs when nine to ten times the jobs that they're so-called taking is not a job you want to do mm -hmm. you don't want to work slaughtering animals and you don't want to work cleaning toilets you don't want to do any of these jobs so it's like nobody's taking your jobs because they, they yeah. do it you don't want to do but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like people are just searching for a better opportunity. And, you know, America love to, to market themselves as the land of the free and that, yeah. you know, this is where your dreams come true. And now mm -hmm. they're mad that everyone, you know, wants a, wants a piece of it. Like, you, yeah. you 
marketed that this is and what's crazy is that for a long time immigration wasn't talked about and it wasn't so much of an issue until after they moved all these factories like across the water now it's like well we Mm -hmm. have all these immigrants here and like how has this been for you as someone like i said this is so rooted in your experience still because you were born in ecuador but you were adopted you come here you have a whole experience as a caucasian person have issues with your identity and your skin because you are made to feel less than by the people around you yeah. uh, you you kind of start to kind of develop your identity and then now you recognize that there the whole time when you look back when you were made fun of for your skin it was like there was a real problem here and it's still happening today like how do you reflect when you see that people are being prosecuted killed because of just what they look like and i'm telling you like when you see these images or you see that a white mm-hmm. person can walk around with a whole rifle and and wave at police officers but someone will legit be having their their hands up and just mm-hmm. because they're black they get shot and they're mm-hmm. killed like how has that kind of been like for you kind of facing that reality of this is this is the country I live in you know what I'm saying like how has that been like for you I mean it's definitely like I feel like it's very easy to kind of get into this feeling of just depression you know because it's like I'm here right now like with my job and my family and everything like I'm truly blessed but um and that doesn't mean that I've never had anything racial said to me or anything like that but for where I'm at I feel safe for the most part but it also comes down to just for the first time like we have all this technology and this is where technology is amazing because these things are being recorded and it's being shared and it can be shared within two seconds you know and then all of a sudden so many people are uh, seeing it so many people are sharing it and people are being held accountable and I think that's the biggest wave right now is that it's no longer like a he said she said type of thing it's like there is literal video proof and you have millions of people telling you this is not okay like yes they're on the same side there are millions of people sadly who think it is okay and they're just like well it's justified but they're also on the same thing I think more people telling you it's not okay and holding, you know, the police um, chiefs accountable and saying you have to do something about this and we are going to demand that it's a change. This is not something that we're just going to hope changes or doesn't happen again. Like, you know, and there has been times, you know, with like Martin Luther King Jr. where there were protests, there were marches, and now it's like this new wave because we have technology and we can share things and proof, like little visual proof where it's just like, this is what's happening to minorities in America. You can no longer say that racism does not exist. You cannot sit here and tell me it doesn't exist, you know? And it it's awakened, I think, a lot of anger on both sides. You know, people who are just like, why are you why are african americans why are latinos being violent you know like violence doesn't solve anything okay well neither does killing people okay because you can apprehend mass murderers who are caucasian who literally shoot like 10 plus people literal serial killers at this point you can apprehend them but there's someone who's suspected of something does not have a weapon and they're killed because of, and people will say, well, it doesn't have to do with the colors. Yes, it does. Like you may not want to acknowledge us because of the color of the skin, but it's because of the color of the skin. And there's this fear instilled in someone who is not white. If you're not white, then you need to fear them because we're all just angry, crazy. We're off, you know, could do anything at any moment. But in reality, it's like, we fear 
white people killing us. We fear police officers killing us, you know? So it's like... And that's what's so crazy is that when you say that we fear police officers killing us and those are the people who are supposed to do the very opposite, which mm-hmm. is protect and serve. But yet, you know, it's, it almost feels like we're not afforded the rights that everyone else is afforded, although it's all on paper. You know, you have a birth certificate, you have everything mm-hmm. that says, hey, you this is your receipt saying that yeah. you are afforded your rights. Mm-hmm. But then there's still like a social legal system where it's like if you're white you know the sentence would be a lot different compared to someone of color and it's just like there is this there's like this social thing that's happening i feel like it's like the smoke is clearing it's like the smoke Mm -hmm. has been here where it's like yeah but like you said that sense of accountability now where it's like people are not letting up because it the proof is there and when you brought up martin luther king that as well goes to show that that was like one of those waves that needed to happen for this wave now to be able to actually really solidify what they were talking about years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, Mm -hmm. that's what gets me upset because when you talk about these white people who are complaining about the fact that it's like, oh, they're protesting and they're rioting and they're getting violent. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, this isn't the first time that protests have happened. Protests did happen when Martin Luther King was alive. They, Mm -hmm. protests is not, not, this is not the first time that people get this way about the fact that injustices are, are happening. But I think what we need to focus on the fact that the protests and the, and the rioting and and all that stuff, it's still happening. So Mm -hmm. clearly the problem has not been fixed. Can we focus on the problem versus how people are reacting to the problem? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, we focus more on, you know, what people are doing versus what is causing people to do this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and it's crazy because like you said, we hold people accountable and we try to flip the script and make it make them think about that in their own life. Just like when you said the example of like, you know, here are two people who care about their child. So they're working really hard to make sure their child has a really good life. What is different if someone in Ecuador, Peru, wherever mm-hmm. else wants to come and do that with their child here? What is the difference? Oh, mm-hmm. well, because and they come up with a whole laundry list of like, oh, well, because because at the end of the day it's your privilege like yeah. you have a privilege and you don't want to bend the knee to allow anyone else to kind of experience what you're mm-hmm. experiencing and you try to put like the scale on it and the scale is so subjective you know what i'm saying like yeah. it, it's really tailored to each person and their experience so it is very painful that this is where we're at today but what is what do you what would you like to see kind of come out of everything that's happening now you kind of having that sense of awareness now um of what's happening and and kind of where you fit in all of it and and you know also being a millennial we all have kind of a different we have different lenses across the board because even when you see these protests happening i didn't just see people of color i saw a lot of young white kids out there too i think it's just like the sense of awareness that Mm -hmm. um you know these old people really want to keep things (laughs) you know what i'm saying like ancient like it it doesn't work anymore you know what I'm saying? So how do you kind of feel when, when it comes to the positive side? What changes do you want to see? Because like you said, we can get depressed just thinking about this and cycling through it and seeing the images. And what would you love to see come out of this this time right now? I mean, I think everything, you know, just like a holistic approach in general, is everything starts from the inside, you know? So it's like, as America, like we need to cleanse our inside. And that's where, you know, voting becomes so essential at this time. And, you know, I think one thing that really 
showed last um, election with, you know, President with Trump and then Hillary Clinton was obviously, you know, we want a, a woman to be a president. But I think what it came down to is like with the lack of voting and the lack of caring, it was like we had two people that were not good to be in office. And it was kind of like, well, you have to pick the lesser of two evils. In reality, it should not be like that. Like we should have through all the candidates that are running, through all the candidates that want to make a change in the world, we should have two presentable people up there. And that's not saying they have the same views on everything. That's not what America is. We don't all need to agree on something, but it's like having two leaders that actually are a good representation of America. And, you know, Obama was such a breakthrough in our society like actually having somebody of color represent our country was beautiful and i think we all kind of had these like you know we kind of in this like honeymoon phase where we're like america's great times were so good when and you know it's not getting into like the whole economic and i understand there's issue i'm not saying obama was like you know the end all be all you know but i'm saying and I don't think what people understand is that was such a huge moment in history and to be alive during that time in history, because to be completely honest, we will never know if that'll happen again. And that's kind of the sad thing is we will never know if someone of color will be elected president again. So it's like to be alive during that time and to see that and to see that America was finally just kind of like, yes, we're gonna accept it. And then to go to the next presidential election and you have Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And it was just like the biggest joke to me. And like, I literally was talking to somebody the other day about, you know, the election and just being like, when he said he was gonna run for president, I was like, there's no way, like, there's no way America would be okay with that like it's just a joke like literally they both of them are just jokes but the sad matter of fact truth is, is that we had to choose between the two of them and sadly enough there were more reasons to vote for for most people there were more reasons to vote for trump than there were for hillary and that's the issue where i think it comes down to who we are electing to represent us and i think even like with campaigns you know it's just like we should I think as voters, we should know who is providing money for people who are running campaigns. Like we should know who they're back from. Um, maybe there could even be like caps of how much like certain companies, certain people are allowed to give them even, you know, because if one company is giving somebody like a million dollars, it's really easy for them to like have their own campaign and make it look great. And, you know, but then for somebody who actually has amazing ideas and can make a difference, but they don't have the funding, you know, because it's other, they just know the right people. It, it makes it extremely difficult. And I've watched certain candidates and what they talk about when it's like, you know, talking about the school system, talking about um, our healthcare system, a healthcare system is another huge thing that needs to change i think you know it's like everyone you know it's another thing america is great but yet we don't take care of a lot of our people and we make the people in our country so sick with like the foods that we consume the lifestyle that we consume the high stress levels the air like literally everything and it's just like and then we have you know pharmaceuticals that are like oh we can fix it and they do they're so essential i'm never saying that pharmaceuticals are not essential but it's also causing such an opioid crisis in our society and it's just like we're just we're so sick as a country and just, I don't know, it's like, 
when you get so sick and you get so weak, you just want something to feel better. Because I've I've heard presidential candidates like talk about their beliefs and like what they want to do and the changes they want to make. And I'm like, yes, like this is what, you know, we, what America needs, but it's like, they're never the ones that are put up to be elected. And it's like, but it comes down to us voting and making those decisions, you know? And that's why it's like this next presidential campaign is so essential for people to like, you know, really go out there and vote, you know? And like I said, even this next presidential campaign, it doesn't mean that we're gonna have, you know, two great presidential candidates, but that doesn't mean for the next upcoming campaign, we can't have two amazing presidential candidates. Thank you so much for stopping by for some vitamins on today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please comment, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode, and share with anyone you think can benefit from a little vitamins for breakfast.